0: Monsters Walk With Us contains explicit language, adult themes, violence, and may not be suitable for listeners under 18. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hi friends, I'm your host, Mary O, and this week I have another wonderful guest, Dominique. Why don't you tell everyone how we know each other? Hi, Mary. We
1: know each other because you were my best friend's RA at Curry College. Yeah. Yeah, in Massachusetts. And I went to school in the middle of nowhere, Henneker, New Hampshire, New England College. And let's just say that the social life there was zero. Shocking. Shocking, right? Only Henniker on Earth. Yep. College is as big as my high school. <laughs> I would... Leave there on the weekends to go and visit my best friend because obviously, you know, we were away at college. It was our freshman year, first semester, and I wanted to go see her. And also because Curry was a blast. Curry was a good time. <laughs> a little bit of a shit show, perhaps, some may say. Absolutely. <laughs>
0: It's, you know, it's a place, and Rachel was my guest on the Martha Moxley murder, the case that has ties to Curry College, and we shouted you out on that episode, so now you're back for a guest spot. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, I am so, so excited to tell you about this case. Now, I don't usually give people clues. I just ask if there's any content they're uncomfortable with, but you said that you have some suspicions about who we might be talking about today, so do you want to throw them out there? Yeah. So not
1: exactly suspicions, but when you said that it was a female and you said that it was a well-known case. So I'm like, not like a murder person. You don't do true crime. Yeah, like it's not, it's never been like a, you know, like a fascination of mine. Rachel's favorite show is like SVU. If I was at Rachel's house and we were watching SVU, I would be in it, in it to win it. I would be so invested in watching that. But when I'm in my own time, I, I listen to it like comedy. So I was hoping that it might be this, basically the only case that I know, because I have watched um, a movie, I think... It could be
0: Eileen Warnos? No, no. Okay. Okay. I, okay. I was so sure that you had it. And I got to say I'm a little bit happy that you don't. So that's who I thought it was. I think that once I say the name, you will be like, oh, because she is the most hated woman in America. The content warnings for today's case are child murder, improper disposal of human remains, allegations of child sexual abuse and white girl nonsense. The sources that I used are Wikipedia. I use the YouTube channel JCS Criminal Psychology and the YouTube channel Bailey Sarian. She does makeup, murder, and mystery Monday videos that are amazing. The person we're talking about today is Casey Anthony. Oh, Casey Murray Anthony was born March 19th, 1986 to George and Cindy Anthony. George is a retired cop, and of course, they live in Florida. Casey is thin, brunette, she's really pretty, and she looks like your typical woo party girl. You know this girl, I know this girl, she's a blast in a glass, it's always a good time, here for a good time, not for a long time, type of vibes. (laughs) There is actually a lot of pictures with Casey fully with a drink in her hand. A lot of them. Okay. Casey is described in high school as never really getting angry or sad. And she's always happy even when it doesn't fit the occasion. Interesting. And she seems to get caught lying a lot, even about insignificant things or things that were really easy to figure out. It was not the truth. Casey is really close with her parents as like a teenager and through middle school. But in high school, this changes and she becomes really secretive. She starts dating. And from what her friends of the time say, she always has a new boyfriend or a new love interest to be focused on. Her parents don't at all know her friends or what she's getting up to. She's just going out partying all the time and keeping everything personal, secret. At 18, she stops at attending classes partway through the senior year. She just stops going to school entirely. She's blowing off school to go hang out with her older boyfriend. Why is that common? Why is that
1: okay? Why is that common that there is always an older guy, well, not just one, always, there's so many of them that will just like hang out with these high school girls and just like pick these girls up and be like, I'll pick you up at 10 o'clock, like just leave second period. What?
0: Why is this happening? You're speaking of my soul. I just had a long conversation about this with a friend of mine because we watched Dazed and Confused, one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh Uh-huh. And high school girls... You keep getting older and they stay the same. They stay the same age. It's so gross. It's so gross. It's so gross. I keep getting older and they stay the same. Like, that is so disgusting. And there is always... Always an older, creepy, manipulative man in a lot of circles. There's always this person who nobody their own age will date them, and they've moved on to trying to prey on younger people in the social circle. It's, I think, that's universal among scenes, which is disgusting. And if you are a younger listener, He's not interested in you because you're so mature and you're so worldly and you understand him so much better. He's interested in you because may not necessarily have the life experience to recognize that the situation is not healthy. Mm. So let's just throw that out there for young people everywhere. That's really important for you to know. And also like not to say that it doesn't happen like the other way around. Like in every situation, if there's a power dynamic or an age difference that's significant like that, Mm -hmm. that's not okay. And that cross is like all identity but it is true though it is it is such a stereotype it's a
1: stereotype for it to be a cis man yes praying on
0: and it's not it's not always grooming is universal so she was skipping school and hopping in the passenger side getting in his like 98 pontiacs on fire thinking that she's living the best life she misses basically half of the year of school And somehow, even though they get some notices, Casey is able to convince her parents that everything is fine. About a week before Casey is supposed to walk at graduation, the school informs George and Cindy that Casey won't be walking because she has excessive, unexcused absences. Casey tells them that the school messed up her class schedule, so it's not her fault that she missed so much school. Typical. Uh-huh. For some reason, they actually buy this and they even still have the graduation party that they had been planning for this bitch. (laughs) So people give her graduation gifts and money and she did not finish high school. But what were her parents like? Like, what was their like social status? I would say maybe upper middle class would be my guess. This is actually just one time in a long history of Casey lying or manipulating a situation so she can get off scot-free. Casey drops out of school and starts working at Universal Studios, and she starts getting closer with her parents again and starting to open up a little bit again. In two thousand five, she meets Jesse, her new boyfriend. And Casey is 19 at this time. She finds out that she is pregnant and Casey does not want to keep the baby. She's actually considering adoption. Casey keeps her pregnancy a secret for seven months.
1: What the fuck?
0: How? What did she wear? Casey is very petite. My guess is that she didn't really show very much. Right. And then when that mark hit, the jig is up. So she has to tell them because she's living with them. There's no way she's going to be able to keep doing baggy clothes and whatever other things she was trying to do. Yeah. She has to come clean now. Jeez. When her parents do find out that she's pregnant, they flip out and they insist that she will keep the baby.
1: Too little, too late. Regardless.
0: If you know that your child wants to put up their child for adoption. Right. That should be their choice. No questions asked. End of story. Cindy and George don't pressure Casey for the father's name, and so it's never been determined who the baby's father actually was. (laughs) Okay. Casey doesn't want to talk about it much. She did tell Cindy at one point that Kaylee's father had died in a car accident. Just another lie that she made up, or...? who knows I don't trust anything that comes out of her mouth because of this history we know I didn't know anything about her until she was in the news so I'm that's I'm all ears right now Cindy George and Casey keep her pregnancy a secret from her older brother Lee who also lives in their house oh, in their house okay a secret pregnancy cool 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 okay Kept the pregnancy <laughs> a secret from your parents and then oh. convinced them to help you keep it a secret from your older brother. What the fuck? He actually doesn't find out that Casey is pregnant until a few days before she goes to the hospital to give birth. What? Okay. Uh huh. Casey has a daughter, Kaylee Anthony, born August 9th, 2005. Casey and Kaylee live with Casey's parents, and George and Cindy are both pretty involved in Kaylee's life. They love her, and it seems like they really doted on her and gave her a lot of attention. We're very happy to have her. Jesse, Kaylee's assumed father, proposes to Casey on New Year's Eve 2006. They get engaged, and the intention is that the family will live together, and Jesse and Casey will raise Kaylee together. Casey, around this time, allegedly hires Zanny, a nanny, to help with Kaylee's childcare while Casey is at work. Casey says that she knows a friend, and Zanny is actually this friend's ex girlfriend and his current nanny. She watches his two kids. Kaylee is also being watched by this nanny, Zanny. Zanny the nanny. Zanny the nanny. (laughs) But Casey's friend is paying for it. What? Okay. I've never heard of somebody being a good enough friend to be like, drop your kid off here with my nanny. I'll pay for the extra kid. Unless your friend is like loaded,
1: I guess. Like what a good friend, but like who pays for, nobody pays for somebody else's childcare, but
0: okay. It costs so much. I don't have a kid and I know that it is very expensive. I literally won't have one because it's so expensive. (laughs) Eventually, a DNA test is done, and Maury said, Jesse, you are not the father. Shocker. Like, okay. (laughs) Jesse wants to stay together still, but by May 2006, they're broken up. Jesse is quoted as saying that he was really concerned because Casey was behaving very erratically around this time. And he said that she was changing in a bad way. Casey starts dating again, going out to clubs and living the nightlife. In the summer of 2008, she meets Tony Lazaro, a wannabe club DJ. Casey would bring Kaylee over to Tony's apartment regularly, and Tony was part of Kaylee's life, which seems fast, but okay. Yeah. June 9th, 2008... 22-year-old Casey Anthony and her three-year-old daughter, Kaylee, move out of Casey's parents, and they move in with her ex-boyfriend, Ricardo, and another friend. Cindy and George see Kaylee on June 15th. Kaylee and Cindy swim in the family pool, and Cindy removes the ladder and closes the pool gate when they're done. After George and Cindy leave for work the following day, June 16th, they do not see Kaylee again, and they see very, very little of Casey. Cindy and George had been letting Casey use their car for work. On July 15th, 2008, Casey runs out of gas and she decides to just leave the car in a parking lot of a strip mall. What? She actually was going to a check cashing place and the car broke down there and she just leaves it. She never goes back to get it. And a few hours later, the car is towed. Yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> that's what they do. The disrespect. It's the amount of things that George and Cindy are actively doing to make Casey's life easier. Enablers. Enabling her. And she just is like, fuck you. George eventually gets a call from the impound lot and he goes to pick the car up. He has no idea why Casey would just leave the car behind to get towed. Yeah. Later is when they find out that Casey had basically drove the car on the reserve tank all the way to the check cashing place. And then when she couldn't start it again, she just like 23 skidoos out of there.
1: I don't know. It ran out of
0: gas.
1: Like, what? It's not working. <laughs> I don't know
0: what to do. Okay. <laughs> When George gets to the yard, he pays the tow fee and he and the impound guy go out to the car. Both men are hit with a wave of decomposition. Ugh. And it's my understanding from all of my true crime experience and knowledge that you cannot mistake the smell of decomposition for something else. Oh my God. They're both positive that they are about to open this trunk and find a human body inside. See, this is why I don't listen to this stuff, you guys. <laughs> Speaking from experience, it's extremely traumatizing to be in a position where you are expecting to open a door and to find a dead body behind that door. I've done that many times. Yikes. It's the most horrible feeling in the world. I can't even put it into words. And I've never actually smelled human decomposition before, thank my lucky stars, but it has to be just awful. I can't even, I can't imagine. George is pissed when he gets home. He drags Cindy out to smell the car, and she agrees that it smells like a dead body. They open the trunk, but the only thing in there is a small bag of trash. They do not open the trash bag, and instead they just throw it away. What?
1: Who does that also they isn't it decide- crazy i'm sorry isn't no, it crazy ahead. that you can well presumably they had never smelled a dead body before this isn't that cr- kind of crazy that like the human brain is like it smells like a dead body it, when you don't know what a See, dead body
0: you mean like the this like instinct or muscle memory that you're like oh that's a dead human being yeah but like
1: not even like a muscle memory right because you don't know because you've never smelled a dead body before but when you smell that's how everybody's always described it right when you smell that smell right you think holy shit smells like a dead body in here
0: they decide to hotbox the car with Febreze and roll all the windows down and let it air out to that, get rid of the smell. That'll do. That'll do, Pig? Like, yeah, what? Yeah. They're very pissed about the car and everything else because they still haven't seen Kaylee. And it's like a month later at this point. What? Cindy goes over to Tony's apartment to try to find Casey. She goes into the living room and there is a bunch of drug stuff around. Kaylee is not with Casey. So they're all sitting around smoking that weed at 10 a.m., which I'm not going to judge you on that part, but where's the damn baby? Seriously, Cindy starts demanding to see Kaylee. She's saying, give me the address. I'll just go pick her up. You know, it's fine. We'll just go get her. It's not a big deal. Casey starts being a little poopy butthole and digging in and gets really defensive. She's elevating the emotions in the situation. And I have to say that this is a fucking classic abusive gaslighting technique to turn the argument from the baby is not here to you think I'm a bad mom. You think I don't know where my kid is. How dare you talk to me like this? This is so disrespectful. Make it this big thing that's not about what the issue actually is. Mm-hmm. Cindy drags Casey out of Tony's apartment back to the Anthony family home. And I imagine there's got to be an ungodly ruckus going on at this house when they find out not only did Casey just abandon their car, there's no baby in sight. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about theories at the end. I, I, I'm not sure if I believe the Anthony's were involved. I think I'm more on the side of they were really stupid. They Mm -hmm. enabled their daughter to live life without repercussions Mm -hmm. with the exception of them making her keep Kaylee when she had been considering adoption. Casey finally tells Cindy that she's been trying to find Casey on her own for a while. And then Casey says that Zanny the nanny had taken Kaylee. Okay. Okay. I've never played 911 audio. Oh, shit. But I'm going to play it because as I was typing it, I was like, I cannot fully do this justice. So I'm going to play the 911 calls that get made. Yeah. I have someone here that I need to
1: um, be arrested in my home. (laughs) I called a little bit ago the deputy sheriff's saying yeah, I found out my granddaughter has been taken. she has been missing for my third for mother finally admitted that she's been misinformed. So- your daughter admitted that your baby, the baby is where? It just sort of took her months ago that my daughter's been looking for. I told my daughter's been missing for the last 31 days. And That's do you confusing. know who has her? I know who has her. I tried to contact her. I actually received a phone call today. Why Why are you calling now? Why didn't you call 31 days ago? I've been looking for her and have gone
0: through other resources to try to find what? her, which was stupid.
1: What? I can't even... My brain is not wrapping around that. Your kid is missing. I don't have a kid, but if you, well, I guess she's trying to say that she knew that she thinks that she knows where the kid is. Yes, that's her story, and she's sticking to okay, so it. Okay. So, I mean, it's definitely a different type of like panic than, oh my God, oh my God, I don't know where my kid is, but still.
0: That spliced together is from three different phone calls that Cindy makes to the Orlando police. While Cindy is on that first call, she hears Casey and Lee talking in the background and she hangs up with 911. Casey had told Lee that Casey met up with Zanny to hand off Kaylee, just like usual, except this time Zanny had held Kaylee tight pushed Casey away and said, I'm taking Kaylee away and you will not be getting her back. (laughs) So your story is that Zanny the nanny has had Kaylee for a month and you didn't call the police because you've been trying to get her back. But the kickoff to this was her telling you, I'm stealing your baby. Right. Yeah. Okay. Like, I can't believe that we're listening to like a real story. It feels like a movie plot, how she's describing this nanny and she has all these friends who are paying for her childcare yeah. and like these lies got too big for her to be able to control really fast. The 911 operator and Cindy actually wanted Casey to get on the phone sooner I cut it all together to make sense, but Cindy actually mm-hmm. has to push Casey to talk to them. And you can kind of hear in the background, Casey's like, What? Why? Like, why do I have to? Like, it's that kind of vibe when she first gets on the call right. with them, which is very strange because, as you heard, Cindy was very elevated. Her emotion was raised really high. She's actually like struggling to articulate what's going mm-hmm. on. And Casey is like, this is what's happening. Zanny the nanny has her. And I've been trying to get her back using my other, quote, resources. What? Who says that? Resources? Using other resources? Why would you use other resources besides law enforcement for your missing three-year-old child? Who you're saying the nanny has told you, I'm taking her now. You're not getting her back. Casey seems not to even really want to talk to the police. And so detectives are very suspicious of her. They bring her down to the station and they start video recording her witness statement. They ask her about Kaylee's nanny and Casey says she's known Zanny for about four years and she met Zanny through a mutual friend named Jeffrey Michael Hopkins. She tells them that Zanny is mixed. She's black and Puerto Rican. Casey met Jeffrey when she worked at Nickelodeon at Universal Studios. And Zanny was the nanny for Jeffrey's kids. So that's how she met Zanny, and Zanny started watching Kaylee. She then says that Jeffrey left Universal almost a year ago, moved to North Carolina for a little, and then moved back to Jacksonville just a couple months ago. She says, oh yeah, I just spoke to him last week. The detectives say, okay, can we have a phone number? We'd really like to get in touch with him and talk to him. She says, uh, I can find the number for you. Then they start asking about Casey's routine and what were the arrangements with Zanny. How did everything work? And Casey says that she would drop Kaylee off to Zanny. Sometimes Zanny and Kaylee would spend time together at Jeff's place and Zanny would watch all three of the kids in the house as needed. Casey says that on June 9th, she dropped Kaylee off. She gets off work at Universal and then drives back to the house to pick up Kaylee. She gets to the apartment, but it's been fully abandoned. She starts calling Zanny, but the phone is disconnected. And Casey can't just go home because she's really embarrassed that she doesn't have an answer for where Kaylee is. What the fuck? (sighs) Totally reasonable reaction, right? I can't go home without my kid. I'm embarrassed. You would have this extremely alarming interaction with the nanny and then go work your full day without trying to get your kid back. So Casey told the cops, I'm still really hoping Zanny will call me. And that at this point, she just decides I'm going to go to Tony's place. And detectives then ask, who have you talked to about Kaylee being missing? You have all these other resources, right? Like, what are they? Casey says, yeah, I talked about it with a couple of my close friends, Jeff, who helped me meet Zanny, and Juliet Lewis, a co-worker of hers at Universal. Not the Juliet. Lewis. Not the Juliet Lewis. They ask Casey if she's still working at Universal, and she says, "Yeah, I do event coordinations there." She says Juliet Lewis is in the same department at Universal, but she does not have a phone number for Juliet. And they say, "Could her phone number be on your SIM card? Like, have you texted her recently?" Casey says, "No, she's not. Some of the more recent numbers, uh, her number just changed because she just moved." Um, Back up north, like in the last two months. I mean, this is 2008. Yes. So that's why they're asking about the SIM card, which is a little chip that lives in your phone for my younger listeners who might not know. Right. So cops ask Casey again why she didn't call the police before Cindy did. And Casey says, I think part of me was naive enough to think I could handle this by myself, which obviously I couldn't. And I was scared something would happen to her if I did notify authorities or the media. Like, the fear of the unknown, fear of the potential that Kaylee could get her or I might not see my daughter again. She said that? That's a direct quote. Make it make sense.
1: Fear of the unknown.
0: I also want to mention there's been no talk of a ransom or any conditions of trying to get Kaylee back. So I, this is really coming out of nowhere. The cop asked Casey for the third time in the course of this witness interview if Casey is not telling the truth about any aspects of the story that she's told them or if there's anything she wants to change or update now that they've been talking for a bit. Casey says, no, sir. And the cop asks if she hurt Kaylee or maybe did she leave her someplace? And she's worried that people find out that Casey left Kaylee somewhere. People will think like she's a bad mom. And she's like, no. And this is a classic cop technique where they want to give a different explanation that they can then use to like chip away. Casey also says there's no reason that Zanny couldn't have taken Kaylee because she's always saying how great Kaylee was and how much she loved her. Okay. Cops ask about Zanny. They're looking for any kind of details they can use to track her down. And they asked, you know, if Zanny has any family. Casey has Zanny's whole family history. Zanny has family down south. She's got family in New York, and she originally lived in New York before she moved to Florida for school. The ease with which she has all these details now have the cops kind of unsure of what's going on because it was pretty suspicious at the start, but she has all these people and information and and eventually they ask her, "Can you take us to some of these addresses and places that you're talking about?" She agrees. And they all head to Universal Studios for a little tour. She walks three senior detectives all the way to the back of the building, literally through the entire building. It's a 25-minute walk. She's waving at people like, oh, hey, Jeff, I'm coming to your fucking baby shower, Janet. Eventually, they get to the end of this very long hallway. And Casey turns around, laughs, puts her hands in her pockets and says, oh, you got me. I don't work here. What? No. Yeah. Yeah. What? Mary. Okay, let's just try to break this down in a way that is still not going to make sense. You thought that you were going to be able to pull this off and wave at some people and they would be like, oh, she works here.
1: Did she ever
0: work She did work at Universal briefly. It was years before the murder that Casey left Universal. Shut the fuck
1: up. What had she been doing with her time?
0: The cops do this classic puppy dog head tilt and they arrest Casey immediately. And they take her right into a conference room still at Universal Studios. They begin to interrogate her. They videotape it. So this footage is on the internet. Oh, shit. They tell her, while we were walking through Universal on our tour, we had people going to all of the other addresses that you told us about. And all of them are fake they then tell Casey, we know that everything you have told us is a lie. And she goes, well, not everything. Oh,
1: that's so, un I just got full body chills. That's so unnerving
0: for that to be your instant response. And you're dealing with investigation about your missing daughter. It's cold blooded. There's no other way that I could describe that. Wow. You know, they say an SVU, especially heinous. That's Casey Anthony in a nutshell right they say that they know Casey knows where Kaylee is and then Casey says no I haven't seen Kaylee in five weeks I just really don't want anything to happen to her they do more digging Jeffrey actually did work at Universal Studios in 2002 so probably around the same time that Casey did but he's been gone for quite a while he did actually know Casey but just as a loose acquaintance he later testifies that he never worked with Casey and that he has no children. What? He also never moved outside of Orlando. So that was also just a lie. Juliet Lewis never existed. Those are just names. Those are just names. Maybe she had a flash where she was like, oh, that actress. They also find out Casey never did any type of event coordinator work at Universal. She sold pictures of people on the Incredible Hulk ride at a kiosk. It was eventually determined that a woman named Zanida Fernandez-Gonzalez, which is what Casey had been giving as Zanny's full name. Mm
1: -hmm. But
0: this woman had never met Casey, Kaylee, any other member of the Anthony family or any of Casey's friends. So there is no Zanny the nanny. The cops go as far to take a picture of the real Zanida, put it into a photo array, which is six pictures that they give to Casey. And they say, can you identify Zanny for us? Casey cannot. Oh, my God. Zenaida later files a defamation lawsuit against Casey, very rightfully so. Was that woman an actual, like, nanny? Absolutely no relation. I think it was probably just a fluke. I also have to say... Casey Anthony, trying to pin the disappearance of your child on a woman of color, you are fucking scum. It very easily could have gone a different direction. And the cops went after this woman of color as their main suspect. Like, that is so fucking horrible. This lady's like, I don't know this woman. What the fuck? Who is this bitch? Detectives start to call Casey out, saying that if she does want their help to find Kaylee, she has to start answering questions. Casey, again, classic gaslighting technique. Distract, confuse, avoid, turn the conversation anywhere else it can go. But these are cops. They're not George and Cindy. She can't run these circles around them and confuse them and get her way. That's not how this is going to work. Eventually, they do get Casey to admit that she lied. And she goes, honestly, I was just reaching for another avenue. What? The cops are completely in disbelief. We're all supposed to be on the same page to find your daughter. Why would you lie to the police in this situation? Casey says, well, I'm scared that I might not ever see Kaylee again. And I'm running out of options. Again, they bring up, Zanny tells you that she's keeping Kaylee. A month passes, and then you call 911. Like, what is going on with that?
1: So, like, since, since when are you concerned about where your child is? I'm running out of avenues.
0: She also says, well, I just didn't know what to do. And that her thought process was, I can find them because they haven't been gone that long. And I'll be able to track down Zanny and Kaylee all on my own. But like, there is no Zanny. There's no Zanny. And even if there was a Zanny, you haven't fucking done that. And it's been a month. So what's good? They also confront Casey about the smell in the trunk of the car. And Casey says, oh, I think that was a rotting pizza with like maggots. There are also stains found on the carpet in the trunk of the car that are the same size and shape as a small body would be. A cadaver dog scents at the trunk. So most likely there was a human body inside the trunk of that car. They test the carpet, and they find hair, chloroform, and human decomposition. The hair is tested. It is genetically linked to Cindy, Casey, and Kaylee. Cindy's hair is very short, and Casey's hair is dyed brown. So by process of elimination, it is Kaylee's hair. One of the cops starts to erupt a little bit, and he says, quote, we're not stupid, and what you're doing right now is you're treating us like we're stupid everything coming out of your mouth is a lie. Either you gave Kaylee to someone or Kaylee is dead and buried or in a trash can somewhere. Yikes. Can you imagine if your child was missing and someone said that to you, how bad you would explode? Yeah, right. If you are innocent. Yeah. What? Casey calmly says, the last time I saw Kaylee was on June 9th. And the cop says, you're just afraid people are going to find out that you're a fucking monster. And they're fully yelling at her at this point. It turns really hostile. Eventually, Casey says, quote, I'm glad I ended up seeing my mom and that all that stuff happened. It happened for a reason. The cop says, Casey, you could have seen your mom five weeks ago and we would have been working on this. And Casey says, well, I saw my mom's reaction right off the bat. And you know what? It would have been the same a month ago. Wait, what? And the cop says, so you're more afraid of your mom's reaction than you are that you'll never see Kaylee again? Casey tells the cops that she knows her mom will never forgive her and she'll never forgive herself either. The cops ask Casey, what is the reason for bringing us here to Universal today? Did you have a a reason? Were you just lying? Casey says... I purposely misled you. And the cop says, so if that's your attempt to bring your daughter home, you lie to us. How does that make sense to you? Casey says, in a backwards sort of way, yes. What is her
1: problem?
0: Casey is insisting that Kaylee is with someone who has had her for the past five weeks, and she thought maybe whoever had Kaylee might come back to some familiar places, like Universal where Casey hasn't worked in years. Casey is promptly locked up and is able to make her one call. She gets her mom on the phone and very nastily says, I just saw your little cameo on the TV. Casey is pissed. That Cindy was interviewed by four different reporters about Kaylee's disappearance, because obviously the media is picking this up. It is a small child. She is white. It's the start of this big case really getting, like, coverage all the way through the cycle. And people, like, everyone in America starting to know someone's name versus, like, the local coverage. Cindy had said in these interviews that she wasn't sure of Casey's involvement in Kaylee's disappearance. When the reporters asked her, and Casey is furious. Casey starts cursing her mom out and starts saying, It's your fault, I'm in jail. Oh my God. Cindy is basically like, Well, if you didn't lie and you told everyone where Kaylee was, you probably wouldn't be in jail. Casey flips her shit. She starts demanding that Cindy give her Tony's number and Cindy says i don't have it and Casey says get it from my brother i know he's right there Casey's brother Lee reluctantly gets on the phone she tells him that she wants Tony's number and he says well i can get it but i don't know what good it's going to do for you and she flips out again she starts oh, saying gosh. well i called to talk to my mom and that was a fucking waste She also says, oh, by the way, fuck you all. I actually don't want any of you coming up here when I have my bond hearing. Get fucked. And her brother immediately is like, I'm not doing this shit. He is so not with the shits. You can tell that he has fucking had it with her. And you can imagine things probably haven't been good since she had Kaylee. And they kept this from him. All of them. Like it has to have damaged his relationship with Cindy and George too. Lee also says they're going to find out what happened and you need to stop lying. Then Casey's best friend, Christina gets on the phone and says, why is it that you want to talk to Tony so bad? Is he involved with us? Casey starts talking to her best friend, Christina, like she is a fucking idiot. It's so condescending. She says... He's my boyfriend. Duh. She also says, quote, I got arrested on a whim today. And her friend, Christina, on this call is way more upset than Casey is. She's getting really emotional. She's like, I need to know what happened to Kaylee. I'm going to die if something happened to Kaylee. Like, we need to find her. Where is she? That same level of emotion that Cindy had, Christina's also on that vibe. Like, where the fuck is she? We have to find her. And Casey says, oh, wow. And then she goes, oh, my God. Calling you guys? Waste. Huge waste. What? She's so fucking angry and defensive. Like, she wants everyone to get the fuck off her case, but she's missing the part of the equation where your baby is missing and you've been lying to everyone and they should absolutely all be on your case. The cops seize the computer at the Anthony family home. They find evidence that someone had searched on the computer how to make chloroform. (gasps) The cops ask Cindy about this. And Cindy says, oh, that was me. I was actually searching for chlorophyll. Cindy says her dogs have been eating her bamboo. And when she went to search to find out about it, the autofill must have changed it. What
1: about the results? That's your story, girl? Cindy.
0: Cindy, when the results came up. Did you click it? (sighs) Okay. They eventually determine that Cindy actually wasn't even home when the search was made. Only Casey was home at the time. Casey is denied bail. The judge actually calls her out directly for not caring at all about the well being of her daughter. Wow. She's locked up, she's held in protective custody for the next nine days. Eventually, her parents are able to come visit. The visit is videotaped, and I highly recommend watching it because I am not fully going to be able to do it justice. I will do my best, though. Immediately, Cindy and George are crying the second they see Casey sit down. And the situation is that there's video cameras on both sides and phones that they can communicate through, like a handheld old-school landline phone. Immediately, they're sobbing, we forgive you, we forgive you. Casey stops her mom and turns to the correctional officer and she's like, oh my God, could you turn down the volume? This is so loud. But I've said it a thousand times and I will probably say it a thousand more times on this podcast. Read the room. George is actually wearing a shirt that was made with Kaylee's missing persons flyer. And Cindy tells Casey the entire U.S. is looking for Kaylee. She also says people are saying Kaylee is dead. And Casey has the absolute audacity to roll her eyes and say, surprise, surprise.
1: What the fuck? She still is not even curious. It's
0: so out of touch with the reality of what's happening right now. Everybody in the United States is freaking out and looking for your missing daughter. So she's very calm and even keeled during the start of this visit. She's acting like she's not really upset. She's not coming across as panicked. And her mom asks Casey, Do you think that we will find her? And Casey very calmly says, I hope we will. Cindy, tells Casey to look at her eyes, to look at the camera instead of looking at the video screen of Cindy and George. And once Casey does, she does actually start to cry, which is the first time she's showing emotion. Cindy tells Casey, hey, it's okay. You can cry. You can let it out. And over this past almost two weeks, Casey has been in isolation, so she's really been worn down. She is actually crying, but I don't think it's because Kaylee is missing My take is that she's overwhelmed about what's happening to her because now all the lies are spun out of control. Everything's getting found out. She can't fool anyone anymore. And it's all just like going off the rails. Cindy and George start asking more questions about Kaylee's whereabouts. They're asking, do you have any pictures of Zanny? do you have any like video clips of Kaylee on your MySpace? Is there anything we can do? The video really helps people because they can see her walking around. They are like, can we have your MySpace passwords? And Casey gets really annoyed and says, well, I already gave my lawyer everything that he needs. Cindy keeps asking Casey to maintain eye contact. And Casey is gradually getting more and more visibly annoyed by this. Casey is done crying And now she's back to her true self, this snotty little bitch that we know too well at this point. Cindy keeps asking questions, and then eventually she'll get nowhere. She stops. She'll offer Casey some encouragement and some emotional support and kind of make her feel a little bit safer. Casey will start to cry again. So the second it shifts from where's Kaylee to how's Casey... Casey is all of a sudden in touch with her emotions and how she's feeling. George gets on the phone and says, "Hi, gorgeous." and immediately Casey says, "I look like hell. <laughs> it's just I like it's so unbelievable that I really wish that we could communicate the faces because it just keeps getting right. worse. It just keeps getting yeah. worse. Their family dynamic has been built this way for so long that they're, they're just real deep in it. And so no matter what Casey tells them, they desperately want to believe it because they don't want to think that she could have done something to their grandchild. That's my hope for them at this point. Like, I, I hope that that's true. George tells her, keep your spirits high. And Casey says, Oh, I have. I haven't cried at all since I've been in here. I'm keeping all I'm keeping my mind off of stuff. That's nice.
1: Sounds like a resort, but okay.
0: George says, Oh, I just want to give you a big hug. And again, Casey's emotions do actually take over and she starts to really cry. George then says, We have to get Kaylee back. Immediately Casey calms down. She says, Well, I gave my lawyer a statement that he's going to be able to go give to the media. And George and Cindy start talking about different people who are going to come help them with the search effort that they're launching for Kaylee. They bring up a woman named Tara and Casey says, you mean Mark's psycho ex-wife? She then says, people like Tara, maybe they're trying to help, but they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Why would you malign someone coming to help search for your child? Right. Even if I don't like you, I will gladly accept your help in this time of desperate need. George says Casey can tell him anything, and he misses her, and again, she's crying. He says he wishes he could have been a better dad and a better grandpa, and Casey says you've been the best dad and the best grandpa. You can't think otherwise for a single second. She also says Kaylee's been so lucky, and I've been so lucky, and then very quickly switches to is so lucky she does this switch between present tense and past tense a couple of times. Later in the conversation with Cindy and George, Casey perks up. She gets really happy because she gets to tell them that she ate coleslaw that day. And the three of them start joking about her being such a picky eater and all of the things that she's had to get used to in prison. And she's turning the charm back on she's like winning them back over again with these funny little anecdotes about prison i just got full body chills again george and cindy wake the fuck up god God. casey also has a thousand and one excuses about how they're not looking for Zanny under the right name and they haven't really been trying to find her. And Casey's dad is actually taking down notes as she's spinning all this bullshit about Zanny's family and this is her parents' names and da-da-da-da-da, more nonsense details that she's just pulling out of thin air. Cindy tells Casey that she's getting a lot of positive calls and just a couple negative ones. So Casey should keep her head high and tell anything that she knows that could possibly help. Casey says, I'm staying as positive as I can. And Cindy asks, do you believe there's any possibility that Kaylee could be local? What is your gut telling you as a mother? What is your maternal instinct telling you? And Casey says, my gut says Kaylee is close and she's okay. I can feel it. I know it in my heart. On August 21st, Casey is released on bail. Her lawyer, Jose Baez, who is also Fucking trash, manages to get her fitted with a GPS monitoring device, and she's out. She was in custody for about one month. And at this time, there's two separate crimes that she's being charged with the case of Kaylee's disappearance and another unrelated case. Oh. The media is going off, the public is furious that she's free. And it becomes a massive media circus. Like, all eyes are on this case. Nancy Grace, all of those talking heads pick it up. And people are just really gunning for Casey Anthony because she looks very guilty. She is officially arrested first on a charge for forging checks for like $600. The second arrest, she's charged with first-degree murder. Immediately after she is brought to an interrogation room, she invokes her right to silence and calls her lawyer right away. She's in the interview room while she waits for her attorney. And it's so weird. The cops are definitely trying to get into her head and play some mind games. And they're right in front of her and they're talking about how she is the worst person ever, human scum of the earth. She's definitely involved in Kaylee's disappearance. She's so shady. And Casey... Like, no reaction. She's just happy, chipper. She's so comfortable and friendly with these cops who just arrested her. And it's the most awkward small talk where, like, they'll say something to her and she'll just entirely deflect it. She's saying and doing all the right things. Like, she's keeping eye contact with the detectives. She's active listening. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Doing all the things. But it's at the weirdest times. Like it doesn't match up with the conversation that they're having or the timing of when they're saying things. Like she'll agree with a thought that they're saying before they finish the sentence. One of the cops keeps telling her it's so weird that you called your lawyer instead of just like being straightforward and just helping us find your daughter. Like that's so weird. Casey in response starts asking questions about what will be public record and what will be released once the grand jury happens. She's worried because the media has all these inside sources with the cops. And she actually starts trying to turn it around and call out one of the cops a little bit, which is obviously what she's done with George and Cindy a thousand times, at least. He shuts her right down. Yeah. Another cop enters the room to remove Casey's handcuffs and they have the wrong key. And Casey and the two cops laugh and laugh about it. Casey keeps making small talk. And at one point she tells them, yeah, I'm having a long day. When I tell you that my soul departed my body, when I had to watch her say that and write that down, I just fucking cannot.
1: A long day.
0: Casey says that she has a really good feeling and her mother's intuition is strong that Kaylee is still alive. And she starts again trying to twist the cop around saying, me and my lawyer, I've always been open to all of your questioning and like we've been willing to work with you even though that's not been the case. And the cops say, we have a lot of evidence that proves that you are guilty. Casey responds by saying, You know, when I realized we were at the end of that hallway, I realized I had to decide what doorway to walk through. What does that even mean?
1: What the fuck does that mean? That's so fucking cryptic and bone chilling.
0: It's utter gibberish. Like, it makes no sense in any kind of context, When Casey's attorney, Jose Baez, gets there, the cops tell Casey, you know, you've had plenty of opportunities to tell us the truth, and they eventually do have to leave to give her some time to meet privately with him. Ultimately, she is brought to county jail, and she is there for two and a half years before she goes to trial. On December 11th, 12th, and 13th, 2008, meter reader Roy Cronk called police about a suspicious object found in a forested area near the Anthony residence. In the first instance, the first time that he calls, he was directed by the sheriff's office to call the Kaylee Anthony tip line, which he did, but he received no return call. On the second call, he reported to the sheriff's office. Two police officers came and met with him. He told them that he had seen what he thought was a skull near a gray bag. At that time, the police officer conducted a short search But they did not see anything, according to their report. Then, on December 11, 2008, Kronk again calls the police. They search this time and they find the remains of a child in a trash bag. Investigative teams also recovered duct tape, which was hanging from hair that was still attached to the skull, and there was some tissue left on the skull as well. Over the next four days, more bones are found in the wooded area near the spot where the initial discovery of remains had happened. On December 19th, 2008, medical examiner Jan Garavaglia confirmed that the remains found were those of Kaylee Anthony. The death was ruled a homicide, and the cause of death was listed as undetermined. So it took four times for this man to call the police for them to actually do their job and find her remains. That's insane. Kaylee had been wrapped in a Winnie the Pooh blanket and placed inside a canvas laundry bag. These laundry bags are sold in pairs, and there is one of these bags in the Anthony household. Kaylee actually had duct tape over her nose and mouth, according to the positioning on the skull. Prosecutors hold a press conference and announce that they will seek the death penalty. I mentioned before some of the computer activity that was found. And I'm going to go through the timeline of June 16th, which is the last day that Kaylee was seen alive by George and Cindy. Casey's MySpace account was logged into. So that's password protected. And there were some Google searches on the family computer. About 7 a.m., Cindy Anthony leaves for work. Everyone else in the Anthony home is still asleep. Around 752, There was activity from Casey Anthony's MySpace account and research for shot girl costumes to be worn at Tony Lazaro's nightclub events where he DJed. The AIM account was also used to chat on this computer, Casey's AIM account, which is such a throwback. AOL instant messenger. If you know, you know. AIM AIM and MySpace, what a deep cut. Around 1 p.m., According to George Anthony, Kaylee left with Casey in the car, and they both had backpacks on their shoulders. While George did testify later that Casey and Kaylee had left the house at 12.50, there's some more computer activity on the home computer that aligns with Casey's accounts, and her cell phone pings are around the Anthony family home until like 4 p.m. Around 1.40, this activity with Casey's AIM, MySpace, and Facebook accounts all occur on the home computer. And the last browser activity on the computer is at 1.42 p.m. At 1.44, Casey calls her friend, the person who she had moved in with, with her ex-boyfriend, Ricardo. At 2.21, they get off the phone. At 2.30, George Anthony leaves for work. At 2.50, Casey Anthony's cell phone is near the home. It pings off of a tower nearby. And the Anthony family desktop computer is again activated using a password protective account that was Casey's. A Google search is made for the term foolproof suffocation, and the last word is misspelled.
1: What? Oh, my
0: God. Whoever was using the computer clicked on an article that was criticizing pro-suicide websites that promoted foolproof ways to die. 2.52 p.m., There is activity on Casey's MySpace. And right around the same time, Casey gets a phone call from ex Jesse. He describes this conversation as abnormal. And he says that Casey had told him that George and Cindy were getting a divorce and Casey needed to find a new place to live. No other evidence of any supposed divorce happening between the two of them at this point in time. At 3.04, Casey gets off the phone call with Jesse and takes a call from George. According to the defense, there is a 26-second phone call. This 26-second phone call from her father took place as soon as he got to work to say, I took care of everything meaning that he had disposed of Kaylee's body and warned her not to say anything to Cindy. So this is a crucial part of the defense that we'll talk about more in a little bit. Wait, they confirmed that that's what he said? This is what Casey's defense is alleging happened. Casey calls Tony Lazaro at 3.34 p.m. He does not pick up. Between 4.10 and 4.14 p.m., Casey called Cindy six times and Cindy did not pick up. At 4.11, Casey's cell phone pings indicates that it was around the area of the Anthony family home until she started heading towards Tony's apartment around 4 p.m. Around 8 p.m., she and Tony are seen entering and walking around casually at a Blockbuster video store. Kaylee is not with them. Also Blockbuster, just to explain another deep cut for some of my younger listeners. So Blockbuster was the classic 90s kid experience that extended into the 2000s until the rentals for DVDs and VHSs. Just You would go there on a Friday night and maybe pick out two movies and some snacks if you were lucky. And that was a date night thing. People would go yeah. pick out a movie and rent it and bring it back in a couple of days. If you don't know what Blockbuster is, there's actually one still operational in the United States. There's a documentary about it that I've been meaning to watch. Also, when I was making these notes, I set off my damn OK Google by saying Casey Googled foolproof suicide, my Google responded, and I was like, no, no no, 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 don't no, 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 don't do that. Don't oh, do that right. Yeah. Officials end up releasing 700 pages of documents related to the Anthony investigation. Oh. And this includes Google searches for the terms neck breaking and a search for how to make chloroform that I mentioned before. And the prosecutors do present this at trial as evidence of the crime. Let's talk about the time frame that Kaylee was missing and nobody had seen her. In the weeks following June 16th, Casey goes out partying almost every single night. She even participates at a hot body contest at a bar just three days after Kaylee went missing. (gasps) There are so many pictures of this time frame of her being your classic woo girl and dancing on bars and trying to be the life of the party. Oh my God. You very much get the vibe that she's like, my boyfriend's a DJ and I run this club. Like, she really thinks she's hot shit. Wow. 12 days after Kaylee went missing, Casey Anthony gets a tattoo on her shoulder saying Bella Vita which means beautiful life in Italian. She also made a diary entry dated in this time period saying, I completely trust my own judgment and I know I made the right decision. I just hope that the end justifies the means. I just want to know what the future will hold for me. I guess I will soon see. This is the happiest that I have been in a very long time. I hope my happiness will continue to grow. What? In like a handwritten diary? It's her handwritten journal entry. Yep. And she has like cute middle schooler style writing. My handwriting's awful, so I guess I'm not the best judge. But reading it, I was like, this looks like today we had meatloaf for lunch. And I told Billy that I liked him and he laughed at me. Like it was giving very much those vibes to me. Wow. That diary entry for me really put me over the edge. Because if there was any scrap of truth to the story that you're saying, there is no way that this would be your reaction to just ignore and I'm going to pivot and do this like party girl lifestyle. Right.
1: Like, there, no. There's no it doesn't. Yeah, that just doesn't add up. It makes no sense. If you were using that time period, you insist that you were using other resources to find
0: your child. But meanwhile, January 2009, the media blitz is becoming life ruining for George and Cindy. George actually moved out of the home and started staying in a hotel room. And at this time, George was really struggling with drug and alcohol abuse. He attempted suicide and he leaves a lengthy note. The police had actually been called by someone to complete a wellness check on George because people were very concerned about him. The police are able to intervene and George does survive. Wow. The last line of the note that George leaves says, Kaylee, here I come. <gasps> yeah. The trial started on May 24th, 2011. Typically, George and Cindy would not be allowed to attend the trial because they were witnesses. However... An exception is made because they were Kaylee's grandparents. They were ordered by the judge to show no emotion so that they would be able to attend. But then the media tears them apart for not showing any emotion. So it's lose-lose for them. The prosecution's argument is that Casey used chloroform to knock Kaylee out. She then suffocated Kaylee with duct tape stored her remains in the trunk of the car for a few days and then drove Kaylee to the swamp area where her body was found. They say Casey's motive was to live her life without any restrictions or responsibilities and the lead prosecutor alleges that Casey is a master manipulator and she was able to convince everyone around her that she was actually a great mother. When the opening statement starts talking about the evidence against her, she's really not even showing that much emotion. She's shaking her head no but it seems like she's not even fully Present. She just knows I kind of have to put on this show for the jury. Asshole Jose Baez is full of the schmooze. He tells the jurors that Kaylee was actually never missing. This is right in his opening statement. Kaylee was never missing because she died on June 16th, 2008, after drowning in the pool at Cindy and George Anthony's home. He says that he can explain how there are ugly secrets in the Anthony family. That Casey never talked about. He says that Casey hid her pain her whole life and that she did the same thing when she found out Kaylee was dead. He alleges that George Anthony began molesting Casey when she was eight years old, wow. and that's how she learned to lie. He says, quote, at 13, she could have her father's penis in her mouth and then go to school and play with other kids as if nothing ever happened. Oh my God. According to the defense, Kaylee was found by George Anthony, who told Casey, you're going to spend the rest of your life in jail for child neglect. We need to cover up Kaylee's death and you're going to delay reporting it for as long as you can, for as long as you can.
1: Wow. What is this defense? And meanwhile, the parents are sitting there listening to this hearing and apparently for the first time, right? Meanwhile, Casey is well aware of what her attorney's
0: defense is going to be. And not able to show any emotion or they're going to get kicked out of the trial. There are no facts or any evidence to support anything the defense claims happened in this opening statement. George testifies that he never molested Casey. And it's also found that Casey had never attended a gynecologist until she was seven months pregnant. That was the first time she'd ever been to one. Ever in her life? That seems a little bizarre to me. Yeah, Jose Baez is a very compelling lawyer, and he is able to connect better with the jury than the prosecution is. The media covers this extensively at the time, all of these wins that he's having some of these days in court. He is such a scumbag, by the way. He goes on later to defend Aaron Hernandez and Harvey Weinstein, so that's why I hate him so much. He, like Casey, is able to confuse everything with a bunch of side issues and all of these off-track arguments, trying to muddy the waters with these accusations against George. At the closing arguments, the prosecution focuses on how Casey didn't really value Kaylee's life or the responsibility that she had to have as a mother. Casey's boyfriend, Tony, is a club promoter out in the club life, and you can't do that when you have a three-year-old baby. Typically, I don't know, uh, hire a babysitter,
1: a real one that actually exists.
0: The prosecution's closing argument essentially is Casey killed Kaylee so she can go out and party. The defense closing argument is that the jury must be so confused, and they probably have a lot more questions than answers now, which is like, whose fault is that, asshole? He says that the key question in the case is, how did Kaylee die? And that can never be answered or proven 100%. He also says that the jury legally cannot decide the case based on their feelings, whether they feel sorry for someone or whether they're angry at anyone. And he tells them that the prosecution has been manipulating their emotions. So of course, he does the exact same thing and tells them, you can't use your emotions at all. You need to vote only on the evidence. Casey is found not guilty of all charges. I am really, really frustrated by this. And I remember when this news broke and I've, I just remember being so angry, even though this was not a case I had followed closely because it just seemed so evident that she was involved somehow, if not fully responsible for the death of her daughter. The defense holds a press conference after the verdict, and they announce that they are disgusted with the media and all of the lawyers who are going on TV to talk about the case. And Jose Baez actually says, quote, I hope you've all learned a lesson. Choke. Wow. Dude, choke. Like, I hate you. Across the world, people are pissed. Casey is actually convicted of four charges for providing false information to the police. The judge gives her one year in jail for this, and she has to pay $1,000. So, all of this waste of resources and fake investigation, all of the hours and the manpower, wow. just $1,000. And you know why? Because she is white. Right. If this had been a person of color, I very highly doubt that they would not have gone after them to the fullest extent of the law for false investigation, obstruction of justice, whatever. Mm. It's despicable to me. She's like this thin, pretty white girl. So of course they're going to be lenient with her. She's also freed early due to good behavior. And she pretty much disappears in 2011. And I remember at the time of this happening, everyone being like, where is she? Like, where did she Mm -hmm. go? That's my same question right now. Where is she now? In 2017, Casey gives an interview about the day Kaylee disappeared. She has an updated story, which is that when Casey woke up that day in the Anthony home, Kaylee was gone. Cindy says she believes that Casey had a seizure, and somehow during that, Kaylee had been mortally wounded.
1: What?
0: Which explains nothing about... What happened? Why was Kaylee's body found by the swamp area? I thought she drowned in a pool.
1: Like, get your story straight if you're even going to attempt to make one up.
0: When asked, Casey says that she sleeps fine at night. The audacity of this bitch. Like, oh my God. Wow. Kaylee would now be 14 years old. If she was alive today, Casey ends up taking up photography. She still maintains that George was the last person seen with Kaylee. So she doesn't even back Cindy's explanation. Again, let's just change the story whenever we want, because that's always worked before. Why not? Casey says that she doesn't care what anyone else thinks about her. And in December, 2020, Casey announced her goal to become a private investigator. She started her own private investigation company, with the lead private investigator from her defense team. Cindy and Casey are still in touch, and I believe they live together. George has no relationship with either one of them.
1: Whoa. What? She started a private investigation company with the lead investigator from her case?
0: From her defense team. Yep. Whoa. There's a lot of allegations that Casey was sleeping with her lawyer, Jose Baez. Um. There was a lot of questions about how she was paying for him, if they're using this anti-George defense. And um, there's a lot of reporting around that at the time that she must have been sleeping with him, which I can definitely see. But I also have to take it with a grain of salt because the way that anything around women was getting reported at that time was so misogynistic. Casey, if you're out there, if you ever happen to come across this, these hands are free 99. Cash me outside, girl. Like we can meet up. I'll drop a pin. Wow. We Look, we got time. We can, let's have a talk. So wild. There's some people who go on to live a life as far away from the spotlight and get as far away from what they did. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like there's other people like... OJ Simpson, Mm -hmm. who are like, how can I profit off this or how can I use this in some way to benefit me directly? And And I feel like Casey is a little, he wrote a book called If I Did It. Yeah. Yeah. I think Casey is a little bit of, I don't know that she wants to be infamous in this way, but I think it is telling that she's coming back out of obscurity to give an interview Mm -hmm. and then to try to launch this business.
1: So fucking bizarre yeah
0: so let's talk about some theories one of the theories was that zanny the nanny was actually a code that casey was using to hide the fact that she was drugging kaylee with xanax whoa in order to be able to go out and party whoa so around this time xanax Prescription drug abuse was becoming a larger thing in the United States. I remember a lot of people in college doing drugs and calling them Zanny bars or footballs. There's like other names. One of the theories is that possibly Casey used Xanax like she usually was doing to put Kaylee to sleep and be able to go out undisturbed. And possibly oh. overdosed her and tried to cover it up. Wow. Just babysit your baby with drugs. Great fucking plan, you stupid okay. idiot. Yeah. The other theory is that it was an intentional suffocation because of the Google searches, right, yeah. the chloroform, yeah. the duct tape. And then lastly, these couple of different side theories about George and Cindy Anthony's involvement. And I really do not think that they were involved in Kaylee's disappearance or death, but I think that they were very complicit and ultimately covered up a lot of evidence that probably could have convicted their daughter. Whether they meant to do that or not, they did.
1: I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts. And I mean, my mind is still hung up on the relationship that she had with her parents. Like, I guess I can't really get past that. And in my mind, if I could understand that, then I guess I could also understand their involvement in whatever would happen later with Kaylee. And if I could understand that, then I might have a better theory on what happened to Kaylee. So no matter what her relationship actually was, it couldn't have been healthy in my mind for her to allow her defense to accuse her father. Right of something so heinous,
0: not only of incest, sexually abusing his own child, but of then helping you cover up the murder or uh, cover up this accident. So your first, your first thing was that's why you were able to cover this all up, and you had to do it because he told you to. After Kaylee right. accidentally died, okay, how did Kaylee accidentally die? You're admitting responsibility, but still trying to deflect it. Yeah. Yeah. So that it's like not a big deal. I think it's really gross that her parents gave her everything. And so many times along the way, she lied to them and let them down. Yeah. That alone is really bad. But then to also manipulate them into Mm -hmm. thinking that Kaylee's alive Mm -hmm. when you know full well that that's not true. To go back and forth with Zanny, the nanny has her and all of this other stuff. And it really shows she was just trying to confuse things as much as possible every step of the way. I mean, she was successful in that. The whole thing is very confusing. She is one of those people who... Every argument or every time that something is not going their way, there's a thousand and one reasons why they're right and you're wrong or they're not at fault, and someone else is actually at fault, and you're just dumb, you don't understand. So I'm going to explain it to you so that you understand. That is, in my opinion, one of the worst kinds of manipulation, where you don't even know, oh my god, am I overreacting? As I like to say, you're questioning the nature of your reality. It's hard for me to imagine a world where George would say, oh, she died accidentally. We have to cover this up right now. Kaylee was a part of a lot of people's lives. like. But was she, though? Like, if Casey has a history of
1: always keeping things that are important from the people that are closest to her, was her child an important part of, for instance, her best friend's life? In a healthy situation, your best friend would have a healthy relationship with your child right? Which the best friend would react the way that she did to being so upset about where the child is. However, if Casey had not made an effort to forge a relationship with her best friend and her child, because she constantly kept her child to herself or didn't want to share her child with the other people in her life, because I don't know, because she had always had that past of like not telling people.
0: It's reported later in the media, like a, a bunch of Tony's friends give interviews. They're all kind of like fame fuckers. Right. Like it's, they. it's really obvious that they're like, oh, I could get a minute on TV out of this too. And quite a few, yeah, ghoulish. Like what's wrong with you? Why would you want to be at all related to this? Yeah. Tied in at all. They said that Casey was a fantastic mother. She was great with Kaylee. She loved Kaylee. She was very affectionate, doted on her. And that's what all of her family and friends also had to say. So people did like, she did bring Kaylee around and people knew her. They would go to the pool. And it sounds like Cindy would take Kaylee to visit Cindy's dad in the nursing home sometimes. So, right. Okay. Here's my take on that I think that maybe Mm -hmm. the one side of Casey did love Kaylee in some way. And maybe even if she didn't enjoy motherhood, maybe the image of being this great mom fed her ego somehow. Or... There was no aspects mm. of motherhood that she really wanted to be involved with. And it was all just a charade until eventually Tony comes along. She's like, I can have this new life as this club mm. girl. She had Kaylee at 19. She didn't exactly have a childhood, young adulthood. Maybe it could mm. be for her. She's like, this is my way to get back what I lost because I didn't want to keep this baby anyway. It's hard. I, I think it's like... Truly, it's impossible to understand why you wouldn't just be like, you two take custody of her. There were so many other options available than whatever you decided to do that did ultimately result in your daughter's death.
1: I don't know. And then just the whole, like, manipulative past of Casey with her parents, the defense's argument, and then the present-day relationship that Casey and her mother have with her father... I just it it just seems awfully suspect that there clearly was not a healthy relationship with Casey and her parents
0: probably ever because it went from really right, close right. to yeah. zero information is coming from me to you about anything social or personal
1: my theory is that obviously just go with my gut assumption Casey may have been mistreated by her father, which would have created a dynamic between the two of them where she was obviously a victim, but then it is her father. And so later in life, maybe she became very reliant on him, had this this trauma bond to him. The mother was likely completely unaware. Casey became a mastermind manipulator of the mother first because she had to force the mother to believe that there was nothing wrong.
0: For survival.
1: Yes. And then later became a game for her as she got older. And it seems like she very much thrived on knowing that she had her parents both in two separate ways. Wrapped around her fingers and would explain why she's so disassociated, yeah, like in conversation in interviews, and you know, so that's what I would think about, like the history. And then for her to get pregnant and then not tell people, so I would assume that that would be maybe she didn't know honestly, truly if she was partying, right, and doing drugs, and maybe she really didn't know until later in the pregnancy, and then. And then she truly didn't know what to do and who to tell and how to handle it. And she's so afraid of what people are going to think, her parents especially, right? These two people that she is typically in control of their reactions and emotions to her. And so then she tells them and then that's how they react. You have to keep it and you have to, you know, take care of it. And you have to, and she has it and she, I don't know, let's maybe assume She gives it the old college try at like raising a kid. And then it just, for lack of a better term, gets old for her. She doesn't, she tried to say that she didn't want to do this thing and everybody made her do it. And she basically, I don't know, throws her hands up and goes, see, like I told you, I tried, I don't want to do it. This is the life I want to live. And that paired with, it sounds like she, you know, slipped right back into doing drugs and partying and all of that. And I don't know, makes a decision to the Zanny theory is very interesting. I think that that could be a thing. I don't know if maybe that's how the baby died because like you said, the computer searches
0: of how do I make sure that a suffocation is successful? Foolproof. Like, there's so many different little pieces of this that point only to Casey. Like, I, I really can't see what motivation George would have. Although I do think that he, I think Casey killed her.
1: I think George helped her cover it up only after Casey got to the end of her rope and didn't know what door to open next and had to call daddy to help her out of a sticky situation.
0: So my theory is that Casey killed Kaylee that day in between the MySpace stuff at four and at eight going to Blockbuster with Tony. I think in that time frame, after she had done all those Google searches and started to, I'm going to be a shot girl. I'm gonna get costumes. I'm gonna start this whole new career. Yeah. I think that that day intentionally she killed Kaylee because of the duct tape and the other things that are like that doesn't say accident to me. An accident doesn't happen. And then you add shit to the equation. Right. And the other thing that I truly feel if it was an accident, they probably would have just called the cops right away. I agree with you in that. I think that the Anthony's covered up evidence, but I believe they did so unknowingly. I think that they were really naive and they smelled the smell and they were pissed about the car. And I can't understand not looking in the garbage bag. I personally would probably have to look to just find out what the hell. But again, I think that, Casey had them more mixed up than a milkshake. Like it really sounds like the dynamic for so long had been turning it around. If it's not a positive thing about Casey, we're not doing it covering up when Casey messed up. Mm -hmm. So maybe they didn't even realize what they were doing, but it's kind of old hat of like Casey fucked up and now we have to fix it. I obviously do not know for certain. The only people that know for certain are George and Casey Anthony, if there was sexual abuse at play. It has been speculated that George Anthony was possibly Kaylee's father, especially after this defense, because the the media just really ran with it. And I have to say that if that was the case, I do not think that he would have encouraged her to keep it. She doesn't want it. I'm going to convince my wife that this is not a good idea either, and we're going to get out of this situation without a problem. That's my two cents. Obviously, nobody knows. The only people People that know are Casey and Kaylee. And I think if George Anthony knew, he would have come forward with information after that defense accused him. He would have turned on her. Why would you keep your silence if that was the case at that point? Yeah, wild case, Zanny the nanny. I like how many times did I have to say that just now is insane. It sounds like a fiction. Well, it sounds like a fictional character because it is a fictional character. Just for a minute, what are the odds of... Casey Anthony saying this woman's full name right and then them actually finding that woman in real life it's not like Juliet Lewis the Zenaida Fernandez Gonzalez is yeah how did she know that name it's just so specific I can't imagine to be clear she's I don't believe she's involved whatsoever this woman knew nothing about Casey Anthony Knew none of them I've thought about this a lot since I wrote the notes for this. And I'm like, did they meet in passing? Did she hear this name somehow? Like, where did this name come from? I mean, she, she had to have, right? Like, that's, a, that's so specific. Or it's like she knew people with those individually who had a part of that name or something, right? There has to be something. There's no answers. We hate Casey Anthony for life. George Anthony, jury's out. We may never know. Cindy, you're an idiot. Those are my takes on the people involved. Lee, I have no idea what's going on with the brother. I've found nothing about him. I assume he just wants to be totally left alone in this situation. Wouldn't you? He wasn't mentioned in the article, the interview with Casey and Cindy in 2017. So I'm going to guess that he is not team Casey and Cindy. Horrific tragedy. Like just the worst thing to happen to this little girl. So sad. So I'm trying to go out on a high note. I've been asking people, what is something this week that has made you happy?
1: Oh, I signed a contract with the modeling and acting agency this week.
0: Yay. Congratulations.
1: (laughs) Thank you.
0: What is your social media?
1: Instagram is really the one that I use. um, And it's at Dominique who, and my name is Dominique D-O-M. I-N-I-Q-U-E
0: and who? W-H-O. And that's where people can see your wonderful, wonderful headshots and just glamorous everyday pictures that you always look so beautiful inside and out. What's something that made you happy? My thing that makes me happy this week, I actually have two things. The first is that I have been talking a lot on here about working on my body image issues that are very deep-seated. And the other day, I realized that I have been wearing things that are a lot more form fitting and things that I would not have felt comfortable wearing, even at home, forget about in public. I've been wearing a lot of those things. And I was having a conversation with my husband, Mike, and I said, I'm going to dress however I want. And I hope it makes people really angry that I'm fat and happy. And I feel like that is a huge, huge step for me. I kind of can't believe those words came out of my mouth. I'm really proud of myself. And the second one, the second one, I have a friend from back in New York. We actually went to pre-K together in Queens. And then both of our families separately moved to the Hudson Valley to literally the same town. And in eighth grade, we were cast together in a musical. We re-became friends when our moms recognized each other, when his name is Clayton. He had a band back when I was in college and I had my first radio show and I would play their music all the time. He would send me radio cuts. He also makes music. He goes by Judah, Super Ill Phenom, and I will link him and all of the stuff I'm about to talk about in the description. A few months ago, he had a really scary health experience. Last year, Clayton was intubated in a coma in the hospital for six days. When he woke up, all he could talk about was seeing sleep monkeys for days after he woke up because he had very bad delirium. And he actually started a clothing line called Sleep Monkey. And I bought a T-shirt from them, and I'm really excited for it to get here I, since starting this podcast, have realized the importance of supporting content creators, whether that is financially or just sharing and liking all my YouTube channels. I've been hearing them say, please like and subscribe, give a thumbs up. I never realized how important that is until now. So even if you can't financially support creators you love, still try to find other ways to do that. I'm throwing out likes on YouTube. Like nobody's business. The other really exciting piece of news I have is just to say thank you so much to the listeners. We officially hit 2,500 streams and I'm really happy. I can't wait to keep going and keep making more content for y'all to enjoy. Thank you again so much, Dom, for coming on. I really had a great time talking about this with you. Yeah, I had a great
1: time. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah. And listeners, we'll see you next week. Hi friends. If you like the podcast, I would love if you would go ahead and leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It's the only place that I can actually get ratings and get reviews and get ranked. Please check us out on Instagram at Us all one word. And I'd love if you could send us an email and tell me where you're listening from, maybe suggest a case. The email address is hidden period monsters period walk at gmail.com.